Like most of history, our show is absolutely foul and filled with horrible language that is inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. tell you guys about the uh, thing i know i told you about it because i talked to you about it at work um the clown and i want to say like brazil it was some country in south america who in the middle of his act at a children's birthday party set a dove on fire <laughs> <laughs> and then trying to continue the act <laughs> <laughs> with the kids like screaming all so around there's him. a video oh really <laughs> and it's the trick is supposed to be like you set this pan on fire then you lift the pan like yeah, a dove yeah, flies yeah, yeah. out and the trick did not go according to plan. <laughs> and the dove catches on fire. And you hear a bunch of kids screaming. Yeah, the guy tried to put out the dove. And then later you see in the same video, you just see the burnt, like, husk of the dove just kind of off in the corner. Oh. The guy's trying to keep going keep with this set. And just the kids tricks. are not Can having Can you imagine it. just walking in and the smell of, like, burnt feathers and these horrified children there was a great episode of reno 911 where like some guy did a children's tv show was following them around and they kept doing horrible stuff that he couldn't do on the show so they're like well why don't we just take a cat we'll put it on a roof and one of us will sit like bring it down and so they go up they get the cat the guy's like oh this is great this is so good for the show the guy's walking with the cat towards the edge the cat closes so he drops it it falls on his face and shoots blood all up the side of the thing and the guy just Oh, oh, that's my ass. That's my ass. Like, it's so funny. And one of them just, walk it off, Dave. Like, I bet that was what that magician was thinking. It's like, this is it. I'm done. What the That was so just funny. staring blankly into your own demise. <laughs> that was, so that sounds like a joke that could be really bad, but just how they did it was so funny. Because drops are, <laughs> I'm still just imagining this guy's like, and now we'll do the rings trick, kids. What else do you do? Who, who like, wants a balloon animal? <laughs> no, what else do you do? You go home. You leave. <laughs> Gotta earn that pay. Yep. <laughs> they paid for an hour, and by God, <laughs> they're gonna get it. Fucking clowns, man. <laughs> also, why is a clown doing magic tricks? Whatever. What else are they gonna do? <laughs> Besides diddle children. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, are we starting the show? Yes, I guess. I guess. Oh, yeah. cool. Start with Great, let's start diddlers. here. Yeah, hi. I'm Michael. <laughs> I'm Brittany. <laughs> and I'm Jake. I'm as corny as Kansas in August. Oh, are we still doing this? <laughs> that was some South Pacific for you. <laughs> that was one of numerous high school plays I was in, but that one I was not kicked off of for making Nazi jokes. <laughs> Can you guess which one that was that he was kicked that out was of? That was The Sound of Music. The weird thing is there, I was going to say, the weird thing is there are some options that yeah. that could yeah. be Yeah, I was in Sound of Music. I was cast as uh, one of the just like background characters who one of those characters is going to be a Nazi. <laughs> and so I got in trouble for asking questions like, hey, can I bring my own swastika armband from home? And they're like, Jake, you're out of the play. <laughs> <laughs> I had to find another extracurricular that year. I just wanted to know if one was going to be provided. God. <laughs> it's my fault. I've been working on my stitching. It's it's coming together. It well, this was back in 2007 when 
you could kind of get away with making the odd Nazi joke. Not so much sure. anymore. I mean, the producer's movie had just come out. God, recently. I love the producer's. Oh, it's so good. springtime. Fun fact, they get mad when you sing that in the Vatican. So, don't. Do they? Yeah. Why? They well, also get mad when you Does it remind Asian them of their collaboration? The yeah, it kind of does. And they're not really happy about it. You will not talk about this. I don't know if you've ever been ushered anywhere by a Swiss guard, but they have very soft and firm hands. <laughs> well, yeah, look at those frilly outfits. Was that outfit supposedly designed by Michelangelo or something? Was it? I didn't it, know It that. was designed by like, one of the great Renaissance, yeah. like, kind of, well, Renaissance men. I mean, I believe and, um, not his best work. Well, I mean, for the period, it's it's a Swiss it motley. As shit. It's a motley. I mean, those that was popular back then. A lot of uh, there were a lot of outfits like that. that if that I was... were if I were equipping a guard force, my first thought is, why don't we make them fabulous? Let's make them. And these are our fancy pikemen. <laughs> <laughs> these are our pikemen, and these are the are fancy, fancy pikemen. <laughs> it says slapping the hood. This model right here, this baby, will ride you into the sunset. <laughs> You could have been so much fancy in so this bad boy. stop touching me. <laughs> oh my god. Pioneers <laughs> used to ride these babies for, for miles. miles. Um, apparently I talked to a girl who later was got into a lot of trouble in Britain at the Tower of London because she kissed like one of the guards. Oh, you know, really? the bearskin hats with the rifles. Yeah. She kissed him on the cheek and the guy was like, you have insulted my honor. I like, got really angry. <laughs> Which in fairness... <laughs> Yeah. Like, I mean, she has. Dumb American yeah. tourists. You should be yelled at, but it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> You're already at jail. You've made a terrible decision. <laughs> Let's oh. not piss these people off too much. The guy's literally carrying a rifle with a bayonet. Perhaps pick on someone else. <laughs> right. Go for one of those beef eaters. They don't look like they can run fast. <laughs> Wait, it wasn't a beef eater that she no, was No, it was like one of the She's guys with dumb. the bearskin hats. She is dumb. I yeah. thought the guys with the bearskin hats were the beef eaters. No, I thought the beef eaters were like the guys who carried the pikes and walked around the Tower You're of London. You're probably right. Like, you know, the guys, they're not quite guys who are doing, like, historical reenactment. Yeah. But kind of. They're, like, museum curators, but, like, but they the also dressed yeah. in character. Like, the fun, militant version of historical reenactors. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, uh, we've met a few of them in our time. So what are we talking about, Michael? Uh, tonight, we are talking about... I'm so sorry. What the I'm, hell is wrong with you? I'm so I had to check something, and that, like, I don't know why my volume was up. I'm okay. so sorry. I'm, I'm not kicking the table on purpose. So you're... So you're Turn your phone on. You're just kicking the table like it's willy-nilly. What are we doing, Brittany? I guess I'm a fucking What is this, amateur hour? Running a professional operation in my bedroom. (laughs) With no soundproof mats This is serious, he says. This is serious work. I was actually going to turn off my voice. He says examining his collection of graphic novels. Yeah, you have a... Usagi Yojimbo, which is great. Yeah, they're fantastic. That is fun. I need to get the rest of the Lock and Key collection, too. Those are my other favorites. Oh, that's funny. So what are we talking about today? Uh, We're talking about other nerdy shit today. It's actually right on topic. Uh, We're going to be talking about the early history of Dungeons and Dragons. Woo! So cool, Dad. Yeah! Radical. (laughs) Come on, kids! If you can't hear an audience, that's that's just so limited positions. Can't even get it out. It's he, you the, know the last time he made that joke to me, he had the exact same reaction. He couldn't even get it out. Oh, I'm great. He's doing real well. Is that his usual reaction to pussy juice? <laughs> I'm just so tickled. He, he fucking giggled. Oh. oh. Anyway, so D and D's great. D 
D&D is the absolute D&D, best. Boy, oh boy, is it fun. Uh, if you can't tell really cool guys like man. me and Michael and cool <laughs> girls like Brittany play it. Really into it. Super into it. Yeah, cool girls like me play it with uh, zero knowledge and then cry when their character dies. Yeah, a lot. Did you really cry? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. When she still what? cries sometimes. <laughs> It was the first character I ever, like, made. I was like, I'm so proud of this character. She was awesome. Her name was Miss Princess Bianca de la Fontaine, and she died, and I was very upset. She tried to play a sorceress, like a frontline fighter, and it wasn't Oh, working. yeah, you fucked up. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've ever, ever, yeah, if I've ever had a character die. Ever? I, I may Michael not has. Have. I've, no. <laughs> Michael sure has. I, I Michael had a character die for, 20 I, minutes into the first game. I will never generally... forget that. He texted me oh, and was man. like... I generally don't take character building seriously. I just make like a fun, jokey character. <laughs> and then one time I decide, I'm going to really do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this like a real D&D player. And so I spent two days lovingly crafting this backstory <laughs> and a character who had like real motivations. He wasn't just a fighter. He had purpose and reason and then the party debark embarks on our journey we walk into the forest and they're like five gnolls which are like monster they're like, like hyena men they're like hyena people these like five hyena men run out of the woods grab you tear you limb from limb and drag you into the forest and i was like do i get to roll and dan's like no, no. you're dead you've got i think hit like twice and you were immediately down. well that's got... the problem with uh 5e early level super swingy yep. easy to die yep you're a little squishy little baby yeah it can go either way real quick. And then you named it Null A. Got me. It was Anol. Anol. Yeah, it was Anol, B Null, C Null, D Null, and E Null. And you got hit by Anol. And, and Anol became... dragged my corpse into the bushes along with all of my hopes and dreams for being a real yep. D&D player. Anol kills a lot of people. Yeah. Well, it can if you're not careful. Yeah. You gotta prepare properly. Yeah. You gotta wash. Yeah, I got shafted by Anol. It was awful. <laughs> oh, these jokes weren't old two years ago and they aren't old now <laughs> they just it's a gift that keeps on giving okay so we're doing the early years of D. so what we've described for you right now is a bunch of nerds sitting around talking about weird monsters why are we doing that because dungeons and dragons got popular again again it was popular once and then a little thing called the satanic panic happened actually what we're was, gonna get to that okay what, what was that line from um uh, Gravity Falls, where they were trying to get Stan to basically play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Like, I'm not playing a game where charisma is considered a superpower. Yeah, yeah. Charisma is <laughs> a special fu- ability. That's yeah. what it was. Oh, it was yeah. fucking gold. I died. <laughs> Gravity Falls in general is fantastic. Oh, they yes. really are. But that line was like, oh. But we really have. We really have seen like a renaissance of D and D ever since it showed up on things like uh, you know, like Stranger Things started uh, showing D and D. Did you see that they have a Stranger Things? D and D set, yeah, yeah. You can get like yeah. the demo oh, organ comes it. with it. Yeah, I believe it. It was on my wish list, and no one got it for me. <laughs> well, you need people who like you in order to get you stuff. I know. No, instead you just got a bunch of socks. I did. I got honestly <laughs> after like twenty two socks are a pretty great gift. Oh, I I'm got, happy when I get socks. I got twenty pairs of socks for Christmas this year. It's great. Twenty. That's pretty nice. It was awesome. <laughs> Loved it. Oh. But so. The early years of uh, D&D, we're going to talk about Dave Arneson, Gary Gygax. All of those, all those fun people. Like whatever. In reality, uh, the guy that actually started what became modern tabletop gaming was H.G. Wells of War of the Worlds fame. So, uh, 
the guy you all expected to about to, I was about to say nerd, and then I realized we should just do a preface. I feel like if we're going to bring up any names in this, it's just, you can safely assume nerd. You can just make jokes about them being pimply geeks. And, and I can say that because... Yeah. Yeah. We're one of them. Yeah. These are my people. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've earned this. Technically, Brittany's the coolest person in the room right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So after a long history of being associated with neckbearded losers and outsiders, I think we've uh, we've earned it. <laughs> but yeah, so H.G. Wells. Michael uh, can say that because he just freshly shaved <laughs> for the first time in a good while. <laughs> I get a big boy job. <laughs> Woo. No more neckbeard for me. <laughs> so H.G. Uh, Wells, famously uh, writer of science fiction like War of the Worlds, uh, wanted to take a crack at creating board games. Uh, that would be accessible for his children. So he himself, Wells, was a, a pacifist and believed that creating a game for them that would give them an outlet for violence would probably stop them from engaging in violent acts. So, like, we give them a game to give them, you know, like, an outlet. They to... get it out. It's the same, like, thing that I hear a lot of people say nowadays about, like, football. Like, oh, we gotta give them a way to, like, engage their aggression so that they don't go do violent things. He was kind of doing the same thing, but with board games. Huh. Which is fun. And so you didn't actually have to, in you know, endanger yeah. the children. You didn't need to send thousands of men to go kill each other. So he did this in 1913, and he put out a bunch of rules, and he called the game uh, Little Wars. So, Little Wars, colon, a game for boys from 12 years of age to 150, and for that more intelligent sort of girl who likes boys' games and books. <laughs> he was a real, uh, real wow. forward-thinking gentleman. Yeah. So PC. The type a rare of woman that has a brain. <laughs> By the type of dame who likes to wear pants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so his... Uh, get know, the hun, boys. Yeah, exactly, right. So his war to get aggression out to stop things, or his game to stop wars, came out in 1913. That's what I was saying, and it worked, right? Like, people, it caught yeah, on immediately, you know, and people, suddenly, like, got it all out, and they didn't have to fight wars anymore. Yeah, and it didn't act as, like, a training tool for people to set up, I don't know, military encounters for trench warfare. And yeah, Everything was all. great. So then World War One happened, but it wasn't the best. So there have been war games before H.G. Wells. But in reality, these games were really basically like complicated versions of chess. So this was the first game where you only needed uh, simple tools like a, a child's tin soldier toys to play it. And importantly, he completely got rid of the concept of using a board with squares on it. Now you are creating your own fields of play. This is the first time anybody had done that. We're, we're a step closer to theater of the mind. Whoa. Which, if you're a D&D nerd like me, you know that term. You get really And if excited. you're not, you became just a little bit more disappointed at me, oh, Dad. Get ready for that to keep <laughs> dragging on. While he did, uh, his game did not manage to prevent the horrors of World War One. it did produce a new genre of games, which was the war reenactment game. So originally, these were basically historical reenactments, and most of the popular games sought to recreate massive battlefield armies of things like Napoleonic-era fights, uh, Roman Empire wars and battlefields, or the American Civil War, all of which were very popular topics. And I'm not going to lie, honestly, if this wasn't like so pedantic and like yeah. rules-heavy, this sounds kind of fun, because it's basically you, you build whatever army you want, whatever composition. Yeah. And as I understand, a lot of the rules are based off of historical research. Right. So if you could find a book that says, like, well, according to this, my Persian army could do this. Right. It affects how you play the game. And me being me, that sounds kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, you can do stuff. And a lot of people did. That's how these were built. 
is that people will go back to original sources and mm -hmm. read about the ways that, you know, these guys started using different forms of bureaucracy to create roads. And so my army can build better roads than yours, which means I can get more people faster. And, yeah. you know, well, again, I'm, a very sort of very particular nerdy audience is really into that. Well, stuff. I remember um, listening to a thing where Dan Carlin talked about this and he was like, there were two books about Persia, like the ancient, the Achaemenid Persian Empire that came out in the 1970s when I was a kid. And this was like the first good studying the Persian army in a long time. Yeah. So I had to buy those books because, of course, he played this game because, you know. Right. Dan Carlin. Right. God, I love the man. Okay, sorry, keep going. No, you're good. Uh, so these games were incredibly appealing, especially to a very select kind of armchair amateur historian. Jake. <laughs> hey. <laughs> and the popular hobby of Battlefield games continued to develop new rules and tactics until one man made an incredible change on a very important day. Dave Arneson of this Saint fucking guy <laughs> of St. Paul, Minnesota was at the University of Minnesota studying history and fell in love with these tabletop history games. But doing it over and over and over again, he started to get bored with the same way that these armies would move. That, you know, like, there was only so much information about them. He wanted something new and exciting. I'm still really sad. <laughs> I have my long um, drainage. If you can't next. tell, audience, uh, <laughs> both Brittany and Michael have been sick for a while for a because they time. have weak bloodlines. And, well, not even, it's like, we don't really even have, like, we're not even sick because of the same thing. Yeah, no, it's you two are <laughs> engaged. Now, by the way, audience, congratulations, these two engaged. Oh, oh yeah. mention that. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're engaged now. Yeah. Brittany committed to a bad yesterday. decision. <laughs> <laughs> I tricked her. Yeah. yeah. She's been bamboozled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. As of a month yesterday. Yep. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. And we have time to sit and stew in our bad decision because yeah. we're not getting married until next year. Hey, just, Thank God. Just remember the marriage advice I give to you guys and give everyone. Eloping is not necessarily a bad thing. Dude. Everyone has said that. <laughs> everyone. My mom. <laughs> I think I, you just do it. <laughs> I talked to my parents. They were like, and I, I, you know, I jokingly was like, I don't know. We might just run away and get married. She's like, as long as there's a priest. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, God. You already got a priest lined up. You're good. I do. Do I it. Do. Get that in writing so she can't and be that, mad at you. My friend who's a priest that's going to, that's going to marry us. The first thing he said was, you know, I mean, realistically, I can just pull you into a chapel any old day. You know, I was like, oh. Literally everyone has been like, just a loop. As your Nate friend. said that. <laughs> I hate to say it, I love my wedding. I had a great time. It was great to spend time with all my yeah. friends. Ceremony was beautiful. Uh, you know. Eloping <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't have been awful. Yep. <laughs> um, anyway, so Dave Arneson. Yes. Dave Arneson. This fucking guy. Of St. Paul, Minnesota. Steeped in the history of battlefield combat. Decides that he's pretty bored with it. So one day, he's... <laughs> Such a nerdy thing, too. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Well, these Romans, they would, like, stab <sighs> these guys, but it's just so boring. He's got, like, a St. Paul, Minnesota accent. I can't do that. You have to try uh, that. I have no idea how to do a St. Paul accent. It's probably going to sound kind of dumb. I know. I'm joking. <laughs> Listeners from St. Paul. All of our, our massive St. Paul audience. <laughs> if we do have a massive St. Paul audience, hi, guys. Hey. We're talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you feel called out? Tell your friends. <laughs> Don't worry, you should feel... <laughs> now you're just getting a hint of what our Irish listeners feel like. <laughs> Don't worry, we live in northern Kentucky. We've got no room to talk. <laughs> uh, so one day he decides he wants to shake things up. And he's playing as a Celtic army. And he says, my Celtic army is a druid priest. 
And the other guy goes, fine, huh? you have a druid <laughs> priest. He has a He's like, well, I've got a Roman war elephant, so you could stick that druid priest directly up your anal. And uh, anal. so his, has his, ele his war elephant charged the army. Arneson declares that the druid priest raises his arm and projects light towards the elephant, incinerating it immediately. And then everybody got really pissed. So, um, I remember the story, this is in Of, of Dice and Men, yes. which I believe is one of your sources. Yes. Um, he didn't give the druid magic powers, he gave it a fucking Star Trek phaser gun. That was his original idea, was that, yeah, he's holding yeah, he's a like, big laser gun. Yeah, and it's like... And it shoots light out So, like, of the... again, like, how these games work is you buy each, like, little sets to build your army. Yeah, you make And they're expensive. Pieces. You have to paint them yourself. Like, right. this is not a cheap hobby. No, 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 no. So these people are pissed. Right. Like, if you do this, you're taking it if seriously. you put in the time, this yeah. is supposed to be real for you. And so the idea that he's introducing Star Trek tech is not going over super well. But, I mean, the deed was done. And so uh, he, from that moment on... Arneson really was into the idea of you can really just do whatever you want on the tabletop. It doesn't have to be historical. You can take it and incorporate fantasy elements and play army games with laser guns or magic weapons or whatever else. And so, yeah, that was the first time anybody had really done that in this kind of environment. So he enjoyed the surprises so much they started adding them to all of the scenarios that he would build. And uh, Arneson began voraciously reading a bunch of history not historical mm -hmm. but like fantasy type novels like robert e howard's iconic conan the barbarian series and then voraciously absorbing monster movies yeah he had a great time and actually there's a fun bit too where there's kind of a bit of a middle ground they talked about in of dice and men where he would do things where it's like yes these two like napoleonic armies are about to fight but you guys are controlling agents in this town in between them it was right. like the kind of like pre it was like the historical fiction precursor to dnd right. and it would also with that, that part of it is it is important because it started to introduce much smaller yeah teams. like he had to come You're up with a character or yeah a, a character with a specific goal right and then like everyone had to figure out how to interact with each other he As would have to quickly to... like oh these two characters want to duel each other how the fuck do i make that work right it's literally him on the fly figuring out the rules that he's then going to apply to the first essentially Dungeons and Dragons As game. opposed to, like, you are the omniscient general of this massive yeah. number of forces. Yeah. Which is what it had been originally. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, honestly. So, in 1970, after a little while later, he invites his friends over to play a game where they did not fight something giant like the Battle of Agincourt or the recreate the Battle of Bull Run, but instead, similar to what you were talking about, they are tasked with attacking a specific castle and then they have to explore tunnels underneath and the dungeons beneath this fictional city in Castle of Blackmore. So Blackmore is his new setting that he comes up with. Blackmore is the first Dungeons & Dragons setting that, at this point. It's it's yep. the first setting before even Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> yeah, it's the real, it's the real <laughs> granddaddy. <laughs> so that has really become the, the, the original concept for what has now become the, the game that everybody recognizes. So, to recap quickly, this guy, David Arneson, St. Paul, Minnesota, began writing his own fictional world to play Battlefield war games in, and borrowed from a much bigger tradition of Battlefield recreation rules. And by the way, everyone loved this. Oh, he had He had hit. friends who, like, when they went back to school, would call him so they could keep playing. Like, right. literally call phone. him over the phone and he would run them through the dungeon by themselves. Right. Like, this took off immediately. Right. It started actually affecting his ability to stay in school because yeah. he was spending all of his time on the phone leading 
other people in basically Dungeons and Dragons games. Yeah. Which is a great way to fail out of school. <laughs> it's It would be on, like, my top ten list. Right. So at this time, uh, at this around the same time, there was a young guy named Gary Gygax. If you know anything about Dungeons and Dragons, you've heard you know his that name. name. Uh, he was born in 1938 in Chicago, and this kid was a whiz at board games. His grandfather taught him really early how to play chess, and they would literally play chess together uh, over and over the same game over and over again. So they'd play until Grandpa won, and then they'd go back through the game they just played find out where Gary's biggest mistake was and then restart the game from change there. The, yeah, change the game from there and play it over and over and over again until Gary Gygax was a nearly perfect chess player. Meanwhile, I get stomped in five moves. Right. I have never played chess. We should play. I might be able to beat you. you <laughs> Maybe. No, you will be able to beat me. I you haven't seen me play chess. I've never played. Yeah. You haven't seen me play chess. Yeah, I've been yeah. beaten by your cat before, so I don't really have No, you talk. just... Sorry, I had to stretch. <laughs> my uh, my back hurts. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. Do you want a chair? Is yeah. it hard being on it also? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! In my own home! God, I'm good. I was afraid the break had dulled me, but man, I am coming out swinging. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so gary guy likes chess jake's not good at chess yeah so gary basically is a board game whiz yeah he's one of those people with an amazing talent at something that is technically not useful he's, he's you know he's like he's got the the master's degree in basket weaving type situation here but he's very smart he loves games and he loves fantasy books and he's so good at those things that he just decided to do them all the time and didn't do anything in school. So he's brilliant, but he drops out of high school in 1956 and basically worked as an insurance underwriter as a high school dropout. The times were very, very different. You could get a job as an underwriter as a high school dropout. You know, a lot of bad things in America in the 1950s, but there were some good things too. Oh, if only. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm actually like... Not quite upset, but I am a little like, uh, no, damn it. Yeah, can you imagine the guy like you crash your car and the guy that comes over to appraise the damage and, and like, so where'd you go to high school and be like, oh, I I left, I dropped out. Uh, well, I went here for two years and I was like, yeah, I'll do this. I was like, fuck this, I want to play video games. God, what a what a time. <laughs> that but, back when we were truly free. Yeah, except in the south. Well, in the you know, Jim Crow West, sometimes yeah. in the North. Of Let's just say well. most of it, unless you're, you know, middle class white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still good to be a middle class white most of the time. There's <laughs> the table set for us throughout most of this country's <laughs> history. Yes. Oh, uh, so Gary Gygax drops out, gets this job that he hates. He gets married and moves to Wisconsin, uh, and his first love is still tabletop games. He becomes part of several gaming clubs. And then in 1966, he decides that he's going to go over the top, and he rents out a hall for $50 and decides he's going to hold a gaming convention. Nobody had really done this as far as I could tell before him. It was in Lake Geneva, so he called it Gen Con after Lake Geneva. And he invited all of his other tabletop gaming buddies and anybody else that he could find over to play. He has friends? He has... In fairness, weirdly enough, if you're in, like, this much of a niche nerd culture, yeah. you, you kind of have, have built in, yeah. like, you're friends gonna built find, into you're, it. You're gonna find you the other You have to, otherwise you right. aren't in this. Right. 
I imagine that most of these people are like writing by fax to each other most of the time from <laughs> states and states away, and that's like how they something like they're all somehow friends through like some kind of weird magazine pen pal, like yeah. Fantastic Stories magazine. Exactly, and like they the, all meet up through well, that. And this is kind of coming up on the heyday of like the zine culture where you xerox yeah. a bunch of shit and mail it out to a bunch of people, and I'm sure they did that. Yeah. Uh, so he holds this convention. It's called Gen Con in 1966. Not that many people come the first year, but it grows year over year. And by 1969, there's over 300 people coming to this thing every year, including David Arneson. <gasps> so Arneson, bringing his weird, crazy fantasy ideas to the Battlefield Gaming Convention, starts teaming up with Gygax. And Gygax just falls in love with the idea of like, oh, I can take the two things that I love more than anything in the world... This fantasy is, novels and battlefield games and throw them together this is the you got my chocolate and your peanut butter kind that's of exactly it, it really yeah. is yeah this is where you smash the ingredients together and the snickers bar comes out on the other side uh, snickers does butter. have peanut butter it's, you're thinking of reese's no 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 it's like it's like that time that like you take peanut butter and peanuts and then chocolate and then nougat and then you layer them on top of each other and you get a snickers bar snickers. i don't know who the nougat is in this in this metaphor you're marrying have, him Snickers doesn't have peanut butter it has peanuts in it it has whole peanuts but it does but have, it have peanut, peanut butter. butter it's not the same thing so who's the you get on butter? with the story <laughs> who's the peanut butter Snickers has caramel oh god you fucking idiot <laughs> it's like sticky like peanut butter no it's not it's totally it's really different not. they're they're not the same thing <laughs> Jake and I are both exasperated it's like it doesn't have fucking peanut butter. There's nothing I love more than just going down those rabbit holes with you fellas. <laughs> yeah, we really love it. Keep drinking, guys. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> so Gygax is fascinated by Arneson's fantasy setting, and he loves the heroic style of gameplay that Arneson is introducing. Uh, Gary is so convinced that Arneson's vision is the way to go that within the year, he quits his job just to write fantasy games <laughs> we had a conversation very similar to this earlier today oh, we have a that's um <laughs> that is a bold move I, you know yeah you know like, what that is that's big dick energy well and he's good got a for family him. too like uh, he has children married he has and has children kids. Uh, to give you an idea the people who played the first actual game of D&D. Not Dave Arneson's thing which was kind of a Frankenstein role set right. the first official game of D&D were Gary Gygax's children. Yep. Yeah. He tested it on his, on his kids. kids. Yeah. But it's more the issue. It's like, you need to make sure those kids the, get fed. The kids are like, Daddy, what's for dinner? He's like, shut up, son. You're a dwarf now. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some shoe leather out of my cobble truck. Because he, he was also a cobbler. Yep. <laughs> the dwarves don't eat. Just shut up and play. <laughs> dwarves get di- advantage on constitution <laughs> checks against starvation. You can carry extra gear. <laughs> Holy shit. So, <laughs> Gary Gygax quits his job. I don't have any record of what the conversation is when he comes home and his wife's like, Oh, hi, Gary. I've got dinner ready. Honey, I've got some great news. I quit my job. Honestly, <laughs> assuming that like he talked to her, that is an incredibly supportive wife. I, yeah, seriously. I, I could not. I love my wife. She's incredibly supportive of me. I could not imagine going to her and saying, Hey, honey, we're taking a bit of a gamble. <laughs> I like, quit I, my I job. I could not do that. I'm no. going to write modules for Wizards of the Coast now. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. And not get paid for so, it. So, <laughs> he quits his job and he, he starts writing, uh, par- he takes part-time work with a game company 
and he writes a his own medieval gameplay supplement called Chainmail. Uh, basically, huh. to make enough Chainmail's money <laughs> to survive, like you said, he take up work as a shoe cobbler because apparently Gary Gygax can just walk in and do whatever. He's like, you need to oh, he, his stuff? Fam- his, wasn't his it. father like uh, Scandinavian immigrants or something? I, are you assuming that Scandinavian immigrants are just leather workers? No, legitimately wasn't he? I, I don't know. I thought he grew up on like, I, again, maybe I'm misremembering uh, the book, but I swear like his dad was like, Telling him stories from the old country. I mean, it like, very well could it be. It was something like that. But I legitimately wonder if that was like the weird skill like his dad had. And he just like, yeah, I remember cobbling shoes. I can cobble shoes. Sure. You can cobble shoes. Sure. You just and put just like, down. And, any yeah. schmuck can cobble a yeah. shoe. Give me that shoe. I'm we a come cobble. From a I'm a cobble it. I'm a cobble it. Keeblers. <laughs> I just love the idea that this guy just like drops out of high school. Is like, yeah, I could be an insurance underwriter. And then is like, eh. I could cobble a shoe. You know what I'm going to do? Honestly, I'm going to make shoes. In a weird way, I want my fantasy gaming guy to like, be a shoe cobbler. For yeah. some reason, that it's seems kind of, right. Like, I need to know that he's got like, practical skills. It's very inspirational. He's like, that thing, this I is can do te- it. Honestly, technically, the story's very inspirational yeah. in a lot of places. Yeah, until they ruin it. <laughs> until they absolutely fucking ruin it. <laughs> so, this supplement that he wrote called Chainmail was a starter set that he was using to try to introduce players to David Arneson's fantasy war setting that was called Blackmoor. Yes. And this is really the moment at which Dungeons & Dragons, as we know it, is born. It's the it's about set, getting there, because yeah. the rule set is there. I and think it's being the, distributed by a real gaming Yes, company. I think the official first setting is Gary, Giga, Gary Gygax's Blackmoor setting. Or not Blackmoor, um, no, no, no. Greyhawk. Greyhawk. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's getting there. We, right. At this point, all the pieces are there. They just need to assemble right. into that sweet, delicious, juicy recipe. We just need to make the Snickers bar. Yeah. <laughs> What's in a Snickers bar, Michael? Well, there's chocolate in the outside. Why, yeah. why would you do this? Why would you and bring him back? Because I want to know if he's learned. There's some kind of nuts underneath that chocolate. Peanuts, but I'll give it to you. Yeah, and then the fluffy, not marshmallows. No. Get the... Snickers doesn't have nougat either. Does it? No, I don't I eat Snickers. Did. I thought it did have nougat in it. Snickers is chocolate, caramel, and peanuts. I swear it's got nougat. I'm what, we're, we're not looking this up. No. It's it's late. Let's get through this. I mean, it's go ahead and keep, keep <laughs> reading. It's 10 p.m. Keep reading, but I'm going to look it up. So, uh, the gaming company that made Chainmail, his first game set, went bankrupt. So, Gygox took a further <laughs> massive leap and decided to use Arneson's idea to write his own full game. He didn't say, no, this was fun, but I'm going to go back to work. He said, no, 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 let's double down and start our own failing gaming company. Woo! Woo! And so, in a fit USA! Of, yeah. <laughs> and so, of course, uh, to name his new creative endeavor, he goes on a fit of creative genius and names his uh-huh. new rule set, uh-huh. Fantasy Game. God damn it. <laughs> Inspiring. What, kind, what game is this? Fantasy Game. It's a game. A fantasy. What is it? It's a game. <laughs> a fantasy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so like you said earlier, the first people to play test it were Gygax's own kids, because apparently he probably couldn't get anybody else to talk to him now that he's made all these dumbass decisions. Yeah, his wife left him. and She didn't. <laughs> Not That's yet. The <laughs> That's the thing. She's Honestly, so that woman must be so incredible. Oh, She's man. a like, saint. She, oh, could you imagine her, the patience it would take? For your fucking husband <laughs> to be when he's not cobbling shoes Honey, like I'm an elf. I'm making shoes now. Literally, he's not Whatever, making shoes like Gary. an elf. He's downstairs being running, an elf. <laughs> yeah, running his kids right. through a dungeon, and it's like, oh my god, I cannot imagine 
I I don't even know. I don't know what she was doing. I feel like there was like a certain level of denial. She's just got this like blank faced stare as she stands in front of the oven or whatever the '60s wives did, and just like and just like I'm just gonna stand here and wait for my husband to. I I really wonder if like yeah, she was just like this. This is a phase. He'll go under, then he'll go back to his... I really wonder if that was the idea. I don't know. I don't know if she was working at the time, either. I didn't really see anything about it. the 19th. I I don't know. I mean, it's possible. But I mean, like, if she wasn't, how... Apparently, shoe... In fairness, here's the thing. This is the 1950s. Shoe cobblers aren't common. You probably could afford to, like, charge a bit more. I mean, this is the mid-60s by this point. It's like 67. Maybe he's making enough as a shoe cobbler. At least enough to keep his family fed, I hope. So uh, he takes he makes his own gaming company. He's got Fantasy Game. Uh, he's playing <laughs> real games. winner of a when name. He's, when he's not cobbling shoes, he's sitting at the same table having his kids play the game. Um, and you know what? Believe it or not, it starts to catch on, and other gamers start really wanting to to know more about this. Gary ends up hosting four to six games of Fantasy Game every single week in his basement in his own setting that he called Greyhawk. Greyhawk is now one of the quintessential Dungeons and Dragons settings. Yeah, it it Blackmore and Faerun, 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 whatever. Yeah. Those are the three big ones. Faerun's the big current one. It's Wizards of the Coast thing, but we're not going to get into that yeah, too much. We don't need to talk and about that yet. We joke about this not being popular, but the truth is, people love. Oh, this as soon shit. as they found out, like, they ate well, it and up. in fairness, there was nothing else like this. No. No one had ever done anything like yeah, this and before. Honestly, to be fair, despite lots of tabletop gaming now, there this is still a very unique form of entertainment. It is. This was the first time, when Gary Gygax started playing this, this was the first time that you were playing a tabletop game with no tiny, tiny painted miniatures. There's no recreated landscape map. There is only the shared imagination of the people at the table. It is all what's called theater of the mind, where it's it's theater of the mind and it's um, collaborative storytelling. Right. So Gygax would describe to you the place that you're in, the setting, the monsters, the action taking place. No one had ever done it that way, but that also meant that it took some getting used to. Gygax yeah. had to do a lot of manipulating and modulating, and what he would end up doing is so Gary would run behind the bookshelves. Read whatever he had written down. I was gonna say it was. I thought it was like file cabinets. Yeah, or whatever no, he would sit behind file right. cabinets. He wasn't technically in the same room. Right. He would. Well, he would come back out to see what the players were doing. Run back over there. Scream over oh, top so of them. Sad. People. Something then, about that's like sad. And then, and then this, yeah, he sounds like, like a gremlin. Over and then person. run back out. This is all taking <laughs> place in his like basement. It's just yeah, Gary running around in his basement. And then the characters <laughs> as a grown man running around his basement again. <laughs> If this didn't become a multi-million dollar company, this is incredibly sad. <laughs> it's kind funny. of a dream. Like I, I, I I'm idea. not gonna lie. It's one of those things I listen. It's like shit. If I were born long, like in the sixties, I, I could have done Gary this. Yeah. Or uh, if I was born in the forties, sorry. Let's I change could be that. Shuffling around the file cabinets. Absolutely not drafted to go to Vietnam. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so at the same time that Gary Gygax is making this massive change to the game style. Arneson is still leading his own games in the fantasy world as well. But he kept in the miniatures. He really enjoyed using the maps, painting the buildings, the figurines. And a blend of these two different styles, Gary Gagax's Theater of the Mind and then Arneson's you know, devotion to painted miniatures and mm-hmm. building your own world, those became kind of the basic foundation. A blend of those two things is what has become modern 
fantasy gaming that is Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. It's it's always some mixture of those two yeah. things to some degree. If you aren't using a battle map for combat though, then you're wrong. Well You know you're wrong. <laughs> I'm no, gonna go and try, say don't that. Don't even try it you're wrong. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and that's my official uh, decree. But if you play Warhammer you get to pull out the little measuring tapes and No, we're not doing that. I'm just saying you need to use a battle map to make combat work properly. Well, I'm just saying that without a battle map you can use three sixty degree movement and not be confined to linear X and Y. Whatever, axis use movement. use the um whatever. The hexagons. Who gives a shit? Let's yeah, keep going. But that's still linear motion. Yeah, whatever. It's that, a game. Like, I need the freedom, all right, to be able to wind my characters around the map in a realistic battle formation. If I'm going to take the time to paint mechs. Can we get on? Yeah, I, I, I hate myself <laughs> even as I'm saying it. Uh, so I while the game is being. Cells there. <laughs> if you play Warhammer, you lose a lot more brain cells. <laughs> You also gain a lot. You have to know a lot of shit. That's it, a lot of rules. It's incredibly intimidating. Uh, so as the game is being refined, these two different guys are playing the game slightly differently, but are in contact with each other. The rules start taking shape. There are now wizards who cast spells, fighting men who fight, and that was the name of the class, fighting men. God, it's fight. great. It sounds like a bar full of Irishmen. Yeah. <laughs> fighting men. Fighting fight. men. <laughs> the fighting men. I love it. It's and great. And then there's clerics who have fewer spells and aren't good at fighting, but what the fuck? We need somebody else in this game, so... Like, ah. sure. We need someone to go through a dungeon. Priest! Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> them guys. Those guys would do Look, it. Gary started writing all of these stupid fake gods, and he just insisted that somebody had to play the one that <laughs> talks to them. So, then you get clerics. So, the rules are mailed out to gaming groups across the nation. Like we said earlier, like the zine style where you're just making photocopies of these things and mailing them out, basically. Yep. Um, and their feedback from all of these different groups uh, proved to Gygax that this could take off. He was getting so many comments back about people distributing this and playing with friends and loving it. So, Gygax grabs a, fruit, a few friends, quits cobbling shoes, and takes all of their money together to create his own company. Tactical Studies Rules. TSR. TSR. Yeah. It was headquarters on his friend Don's dining room table. Don. Don K. Don K is now one of the new originators of TSR, the company that creates Dungeons and Dragons. And they had a great game. And they had a preliminary audience. Now they just needed a name that was fucking better than Fantasy Game. In fairness, you really can't go much worse. Like, literally throw darts at a dictionary page. You're going to do better than You'll fantasy You'll get something. Game. Yeah. F- fantasy game. Uh, so, Gygax started creating lists of words that he thought related to his game and then started reading them to his kids. So, he'd be like, okay, so castle, magic, treasure spells, or monsters and swords. And eventually, Gary Gygax's daughter, Elise, really liked the way that, you know, dungeons and dragons alliterated. And so, he was like, yeah, okay, dungeons and dragons. And in fairness, it's work. Alli- you know what? Alliteration is great. That's what many years of comics have taught me. Yeah. D&D. Yeah. It is great. D&D, it's perfect. It rolls off the tongue. Hey, D&D. you know what? It's easy to type. It is. Super easy to type. So now they've finished their 150-page rule booklet, and they take it to Avalon Press, who is one of the more significant fantasy presses uh, in the business, and they do a lot of gaming te- uh, pamphlets as well. And they laugh them right out of the room because this is the weirdest thing they've ever fucking heard. It's it's different. It looks nothing like any kind of war game that they had ever seen go into a publishing house before. And uh, the people at Avalon basically told Gary Gygax, if you had any intelligence whatsoever, you should direct your interest to something fascinating and unique, like the Balkan War. 
Which is funny because there's nothing fascinating or unique about the No, Baltimore. it's just so... It's a bunch of slobs killing each other. You direct interest into something fascinating and unique. This is they're, fascinating they're thing, and unique. Right, thing, but they're so confined it's, it's to the historical battlefield. Yep, yep. These are no, people no, that's who what are... I said. Like, what, it's, what's the term in of Dyson Grognards? Yeah. Which is like a term for uh, Napoleon's old elite troops. It's literally like the old elite soldiers and it's like... Right. Because it's basically for people who are like crusty old they're men so who can't set leave in their behind. ways that yeah. they can't see anything new yeah you know like hollywood executives so they don't get it published by avalon but uh they refuse to give up and after bringing in a couple more partners because quite frankly they just needed more money they finally had enough money to publish it on their own so in 1974 they self-published a thousand copies of the original game Dungeons and Dragons, rules for fantastic medieval war games campaigns, playable with paper and pencil and miniature figures. None of these people knew how to write a title for anything. It's so much. Like, it's all of them are like it's like we don't need a paragraph. Just give just us a even, title. Like, if we you can wanna, figure it out. Yeah, if you want to put that in the game description, yeah. sure. Sure. <laughs> you just wrote the first page of the booklet. Yeah. But uh the game it, it was not insignificant i mean it cost ten dollars in 1974 which wasn't chump change but it included a really cool drawing of a viking warrior on a horse which was blatantly copied directly from sketching over top of the cover of a dr strange Cover. comic book cover cover <laughs> topping over the cover like gary gygax's father <laughs> but they they literally just like put a piece of paper over top of a dr strange comic drew over it and then colored in some viking stuff bam got our cover there it is and they would do this over and over and over again yeah they copied so much shit from marvel and dc comics and it got to be a real problem because they're a new company and there's a lot of copyright infringement they get hit with a lot of cease and desist which is funny because they issue a lot of cease and desist letters oh too. that that becomes a real irony later so within the first two years, they sell a thousand copies and are printing thousands more alongside their own traditional war game scripts. So they're producing their own battlefield scripts. Uh, within two years, they were beginning to see a profit and Gygax made it clear, and I quote, we are not here to make huge profits, but to make great games that we are proud of. Can we get Rem that in writing, Gary? Remember that. <laughs> can, we get, yeah, can we get that in writing, Gary? So in 1976, they're finally starting to turn a profit. Things are going well. They begin producing additional supplements to the game. And this is where D&D, &D, as a business model, really became revolutionary. Yep, this is the good one. Because before then, the game always needed... This is so new. No one really knew how to play this game, right? So you could buy the game setting... But you couldn't buy Gary Gygax to come show you how to play it. And again, part of what made Gary Gygax so good at this was he grew up like reading Grimm's fairy tales, hearing story. Like I said, right. I'm sure his father was an immigrant. I'm positive. Uh, he was hearing like old, you know, folk tales from right. the you know, from the homeland. Yeah, it's literally he had, was steeped in myth and folk tale and all this stuff. Which translates to being really good at improvising stories on right. the spot. And not everyone has Gary Gygax's background. Right. He was raised in the oral tradition. He that... was about as close to meant to do this as you could get. He really was. Yeah. So you could buy the game setting, but you couldn't bring Gary Gygax with you to play it. So they started releasing supplements when players would get frustrated about what you're supposed to do. So what Gygax did is realize that what you could do is 
release more information about the game and mm-hmm. sell that separately. You could generate new content for the exact same game and keep selling, selling it to the same customer. Nobody base. had ever done this before for a game. It's right? DLC. Right, yeah. This. I mean, really, this is the invention of DLC. Yeah, uh, but better. So, yeah, well, uh, but, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, I've had the exact same copies of games like Monopoly, Shoots and Ladders, Chess. I've had yeah. the same games You literally since don't need to buy another copy unless yours gets ruined. Exactly. But D&D, constant books come out, and you don't need to get all of them, the but there's is, probably something you will want to there's get. There's always more. It's always growing and yep. evolving. So they began publishing a series of magazines which contained supplements to the story, scenarios, and ideas for gameplay. And the steam was building up. People kept buying them. They were waiting for new content. They were waiting for new gameplayables. And Gygax was at the helm insisting that Tactical Studies Rules is not a giant company. We're not even a large one. This is a quote from Gary Gygax. Yep. But we are growing now, and in the future we might attain some substantial size. While we must make profits in order to remain a business, we are not around solely to make money. Hey, Gary, that's that's not quite the same thing you said in 1976. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the story's already changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shut up. A shut little up. bit. Get back in there and write. Yeah, <laughs> write me more gremlins, you gremlin. <laughs> so, uh, w- during this time period, unfortunately, Don Kay, who headquarters the original TSR, passed away from a heart attack uh, in 1975 pouring out for a boy yeah so he had been gary's personal childhood friend and the major partner at the business and with his passing all of his shares in the company transferred to his widow donna k i'm sorry what his his name was don and he married a donna don and donna k did they do it just as a joke like did they think they were being funny it sounds like an archie comic it, it sounds, yeah, it sounds like, like characters from an Archie comic. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah, they probably got married in the 50s, and, you know, maybe it was an Archie comic. I don't know. Hey, we should get married. It'd be a hoot. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Our names together. Can you imagine that as, like, a proposal? Well, I mean, Your name's it'd be kind of funny. <laughs> it'd be kind of funny, and, uh... <laughs> Wouldn't it be a hoot if, uh, uh, if you stayed around forever? I just want to play and board games. <laughs> <laughs> so Donna, unlike... Her husband, Don, did not care at all about games and the whole time had been really unhappy that her husband had invested in this company. So Gary, without Don here, is forced to try and buy her out of her shares of the company so that he can keep control because she's making all kinds of problems because she doesn't want to be here. And also she doesn't know what they're doing. Right. She doesn't understand she, it's any not, of it. It's not even necessarily that she doesn't want to be, want to be here. Like, that's part of it. But she doesn't But understand. it's more that she has no fucking clue. Right. She's not yeah. a part of this very, very, to be fair, very specific world that they're yeah. building. Yeah. And she just doesn't understand it or fit into it or like it. But, so, in order to buy her out, Gary has to spend almost all of his money. To cope with the financial hit... Gary's forced to sell the majority of his shares to their other partners, Brian and Melvin Bloom. So remember how I jokingly said this fucking guy when talking about Dave Arneson? Um, but Brian and Melvin Bloom, these fucking guys, these, and I mean that seriously. Oh my gosh. This pair of idiots. Because remember, over and over again, what has Gary Gygax said at every point so far? We're not here to make money, we're here to make good games. So by the end of the year, by the end of 1975, after Don passes away... Gary Gygax managed to buy out his widow, but he owns less than 40% of his own company because the Bloom brothers bought almost all of it. 
That same year, Dungeons and Dragons also, at the same time, entered its first legal battle against a knockoff brand. People, they're popular enough now that people are starting to copy them. Yeah. And alongside Dungeons and Dragons, suddenly you get Tunnels and Trolls. Hell I do wonder yeah. if you can find a copy of Tunnels and Trolls. Oh, that somewhere. would be awesome. It'd be fun to have, like, in I my be, gaming room. I think of them as, like, the street sharks to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah. of tabletop gaming. And Honestly, did, yes. And I have never heard of street sharks. Have you really not? Until, All the toys are cool as shit. Well, yeah. Until we're, we watched it on something. Yeah. I, we watched it the first episode, and I was like, what? the fuck it's like teenage mutant ninja turtles if you drop a whole bunch of acid it's like that and honestly it reminds me a lot of um what's the other show kind of like that gargoyles gargoyles was great yeah i've never watched that either oh it's fun it's pretty good from what i remember sorry keep going yeah no you're fine uh so dungeons and dragons now has tunnels and trolls to contend with and so for the first time they're forced to hire a law firm to deal with competitors this is kind of a hilarious development because Dungeons and Dragons has been stealing all of the stuff from all kinds of different properties. Gygax borrowed so heavily when writing his fantasy world from J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings that in 1976, the Tolkien estate personally sent Gary Gygax a cease and desist order. Which is why, inside of Dungeons and Dragons, there are no hobbits. There are only halflings. Uh, weren't there also issues with them using like the term orc and stuff oh, like yeah. that too? Which, all, how did they get orc back but not halfling? I think that orc had become generic enough that like, where just they yeah. stopped trying to defend they, it. Yeah, that was one of the ones that just got so sewn into pop. But culture. like hobbits, it's like that's very that's such a brand that thing. is yeah. very very Tolkien. fundamental to his story. Yeah. yeah, it's not like it's not like Tolkien has a book called like the Elf. Or you know, the yeah, or the like, or. it's like, it's the Hobbit. Right, yeah. <laughs> so this kind of blatant idea theft on the part of Gary Gygax was also a big part of their artwork. Images from comics like Doctor Strange, the Fantastic Four, and especially other Marvel properties were traced almost line for line into the artwork of Dungeons and Dragons. You can see plenty of covers and there are great side-by-side images. Are where there? Yeah. Aww. Where you'll see an image that's like a Dungeons and Dragons cover and you're like, oh, cool. And then right next to it, you see a cover for Doctor Strange and it's literally just traced. Can you send, those, or send some of those to me so yeah. I can put them on? Yeah, I'll put a couple I'll put of them these, on the Facebook page. I was going to say, I'll put a couple of these pictures in the episode description too. That's hilarious. Uh, so, oh, and they got in so much trouble for it and rightfully so because they're just stealing it is people's that. art. It's plagiarism. So like. while the ethics are dubious, it's easy to see why they did it when you look at some of their own attempts at original artwork, which are hilariously bad. They're um they're not good. They're so bad. Oh, they look like they look like grade school drawings. It looks like, like my artwork. Like it's like oh, it's, they're terribly proportioned. They don't make sense. <sighs> There's all of this weird, sad female nudity. What? You, no. So I'm reading the show notes here. You say unnecessary. Uh, I'm joking. I'm, I no. was about to sound kind of gross. <laughs> I was about to sound like... Uh, it's always a, necessary. Yeah. <laughs> show more titties. I mean... <laughs> show that's, that's the guys. <laughs> all the same, the game was a huge hit. And it was quickly gaining steam across the whole nation. There were thousands of copies of the games being sold. And then... The publication of updates, additions, new settings, and it was bringing in a steady income. It wasn't just generating one game. This was a game that kept on giving, and they were able to generate profit. So they also made a kind of a side attempt at adding sci-fi elements to the game, but it really wasn't written that well, and it was written by new people that they were bringing in, and the players didn't understand how it worked, and it kind of caused the company to back off of science fiction inside of Dungeons & Dragons. 
leaving D&D solidly in the medieval fantasy world that we think of today. Uh, however, another addition to the game would cause far more controversy than any science fiction because they started getting spooky. Some say spooky, others might say extremely overzealous parents. What happened was a teenager from my own hometown, Dayton, Ohio. Of course. Named Dallas Egbert, incredibly brilliant young student. He ended up going to the univer- or Michigan State University in 1979 at the age of 15 yeah wow. he was very young yeah he's very smart and there's and you Go know Egbert. what i found that 15 year olds have a great time yeah. doing fitting in with yeah crowds of people I, who are 18 I and mean, older i started high school at 15 yeah it's, so it, I, go, I cannot imagine anything worse than going to college at the age of 15 well like right when you're kind of trying to figure out who you are that must be an awful and experience right in the middle of going through puberty, puberty. and so that all sounds horrendous it didn't well things weren't going great for dallas at michigan state university let's call him egbert and sometime around (laughs) august 15 he went missing oh no the family was unable to find him they weren't hearing from him and in desperation they hired a private investigator named william deer to go look for dallas after police investigations had turned up no compelling evidence for where he might be oh dear uh william deer the investigator uh, basically went to the university and he claims that while he was looking around Dallas's room, he saw a cork board with an arrangement of tacks on it that looked kind of like a room. And so he said, ah, that must be a room in the tunnels underneath the university. We need to go look down there. Oh no. Well, they did, but they didn't find it. He got the police together. Say, I didn't, um, didn't Egbert like go to another town where he, did like a half-hearted suicide attempt or something yeah. and then just like went home well so this the important thing here is that william deer has gotten involved and is now desperately and looking william for deer spirit. is desperately looking for relevance right so uh they go looking through the tunnels they don't find him but then several days later dallas is found nearly dead in those same tunnels mm-hmm. so william deer did not find him the kid ended up turning up there much later we think he yeah. went back there later so he did, uh, unfortunately, attempt suicide. That suicide attempt failed. Dallas did not die at that time. Uh, but eventually he did attempt suicide again, and, and he succeeded. Aww. But I know. It's it's really unfortunate, and it's sad. That, that does suck, legitimately. But, un- but even more unfortunate for, for wider <laughs> nations. What are you trying to say? Well... <laughs> But the even national, more unfortunate, well, my national, fantasy game was slandered. No, I mean by na- Egbert's selfish suicide it's, it's attempt. That, well, it, I, I was going to say that it's unfortunate because his story suddenly became national media news, which I'm sure because did not. This private investigator took advantage of the yeah. death of yeah. this poor this kid. This guy's a piece of shit. That's disgusting. Yeah. So William Deere, the investigator, went to the news with claims that this death. The death of this boy was centered around Dungeons and Dragons. So the team that around this time in 1979, Dungeons and Dragons, the guys that released it, Gary Gygax, had released several new updates to the gaming world, right? So they're adding new fantasy elements. There's now mythologies, including Norse gods like Thor, several Greek gods as well. But most recent and most important to this story includes the addition of some, like, demons devils and oh, no. like dark elements there were evil creatures to fight 
Private investigator William Deere told the press that he believes that Dallas Egbert had killed himself and been lost in the tunnels while playing a devious game of Dungeons and Dragons that had convinced him with satanic messaging to commit suicide. Welcome to the satanic panic. Local news, desperate for compelling stories to run, if it bleeds it leads, seized on the idea and suddenly there's a national news sensation around the, quote, Dangerous and demonic game corrupting our children. Eat that shit. This also up. came during a period of Christian far-right resurgence in American politics, uh, and many Christian groups began also jumping on board, sparking a giant national frenzy that we know as the Satanic Panic. Woo! Christian preachers on television and radio, newspapers and pamphlets began railing against the evil dangers of Dungeons and Dragons, calling it a tool of Satan to corrupt the youth of the world. Woo! Television. It's so metal. Oh. <laughs> I want to start a band called Satanic Panic. It, it, it's oh, it's hard to imagine it hasn't been made because it's such a good it's, name. It's yeah. so, it's right there. It's, it's very easy. Right. It's so good. But television news media made it even worse because they saw it as an easy hook for people's fear to get more ratings and more news. So they started desperately trying to attach Dungeons and Dragons to almost any crime that involved teenagers or children. Uh, there were a couple of, uh, there was a murder that happened, a famous murder, and the two teenagers that had murdered their friend, mm-hmm. the news media said, both those kids played Dungeons and Dragons, therefore Dungeons and Dragons Caused made them this kill murder. those kids. And they just started running with these stories. Yeah. And so anytime someone got killed, they would immediately suggest, oh, maybe they played Dungeons and Dragons. Well, I remember talking to you guys earlier about um, Unsolved Mysteries or whatever. Yeah. And, like, the first episode has a story where this guy's kid died. And this came out, like, the 90s. And this guy is still trying to connect the death of his child, which either probably a suicide or an unfortunate accident. He's trying to connect it to Dungeons and Dragons and Satanism. And, I mean, that was still in the 90s. Right. The fumes of this linger oh. for a long time. My mom still is concerned that I play Dungeons & Dragons. Is she because, really? Yeah, she really is. Because she was convinced that, by local news, that it's a tool for the corruption of children. Yeah, it's it's and, it, it really is crazy to think about how long that well, lasts. And all of these claims have been thoroughly debunked on in a variety of different ways over decades yeah, it's so it's, it's it's the same thing as people saying like video violence in video games make you a violent person and right. stuff like that it it's, was, it's all the same bullshit it was a new kind of gaming it's, it's a it's new l- thing that it, kids honestly, were into yeah i really think it's just old people we don't get this and we don't think it's right we yeah. don't like, understand it it's not even like old people yeah it's yeah. like the watch it's like the kids doing it and being like invested in it yeah they think that it's unhealthy. it's bad yeah. yeah so one of the side effects of this nationwide outcry is that suddenly Dungeons and Dragons is on every single television in the United States, and sales of Dungeons and Dragons go through the roof. Gygax loved it. Oh, he fucking loved he was it. Eating there, it was up. A, there was an interview in like the two thousands where he's like, "Yeah, it was like the best thing that could have happened to us. Yep. it totally changed the company. It they like made revolutionary profits one yeah. year. They were expecting like a growth from like what four million to eight million. It was something like that. Yeah, instead they were making like sixteen million. They made like double their projected growth right it's something crazy well, because think about it you're sitting at home and on the news comes on what's the dark magical game that's bringing power to young people in yeah, fantasy? That... and all the parents are going oh i hate this and the kids go cool yeah exactly it's just you know fat me so they're like woo awesome <laughs> dad i'm buying a wizard hat <laughs> fat me woo 
<laughs> Let's get it. So now I'll feel like, powerful, and I, they'll all pay. They'll yeah. all pay. So, the fear of satanic influence that was being peddled by news media was kind of offset by the other continual message, which was, your parents don't want you to know about this. Which makes it fun and exciting. Which is, which is just about the best sales pitch that you can make to any 12-year-old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want it. By 1981, Gygax had negotiated with publishing house Random House, putting copies of the basic rules in major bookstores across the U.S., Suddenly, the company was listed as one of the top 10 fastest growing companies in the U.S. Damn. Yeah, it's yeah. honestly, there was, um, I can't remember which magazine it was, but it was legitimately like they would do a, a profile of companies and like kind of what makes this company successful and everything. And they got to D&D and they're like, they have this very unique management style, which is really no management style because it was right. just the they're Bloom just... Brothers ruining everything. Sure, let's just but it was like, just, stuff. it was, this game was so wildly successful that it succeeded in spite of the Bloom Brothers' incompetence All and Gary Gygax throwing around money like a sailor at a whorehouse. Yep. It was great. And that, well, we're going to get to that What a great time. Too. <laughs> so, yeah, suddenly they go from being, you know, this unemployed cobbler writing stuff in his basement and hiding behind shelves to being one of the most popular, and if not the single most popular game system in the world today yeah. in terms of tabletop games for sure and it came around yeah it wasn't it, it wasn't just is. a flash in the pan it literally came back and it still is a powerhouse it went it's from, bigger now than ever i it, think i really it think is. it is it really at is. least in terms of number of people well, playing in turn yeah well today there are you know calculated it's hard to calculate but today there are currently over 300 million people playing dungeons and dragons right yeah now. it's amazing so they went from this small startup in one guy's basement to being the single largest tabletop gaming community in the world and there's gonna be there's so much more to this story yeah we're gonna, we, we're we gonna, left out so much i mean there's the whole david arneson working at tsr and then quitting and then because absolutely apparently quitting. it's too hard to design games right i say that jokingly i mean there's there's so much details there's, so there's much gary gygax stuff. in hollywood oh yeah there's it's fucking goofy he ends up like running houses in malibu he, he's and literally renting like a multi-million dollar how dollar much was he spending a month oh it was, it like was hundreds crazy. of thousands of dollars it was month. absolutely an obscene amount of money yeah there's yeah. there's so much more to this so, if you want like a good layman's introduction of dice and men is a great it's fun a, it's read it's, it's pretty quick read. i also used uh things like there's a great uh youtube channel channel called dm it all and uh, they did one, a video called History of Dungeons and Dragons. And then The Verge actually has a really great video series called A Brief History of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there. I'll probably end up doing a second episode just to go into yeah. more detail on the satanic panic and yeah. kind of the fun, crazy stories. There's a, uh, there's a gra I don't know if you use it as a reference or not, but there is a graphic novel yeah. that is um, a biography of, of Gary, Gary Gygax. Gygax. Yeah. Really? It's like the, I think it's like the, game master or something, something like along that. those lines that's fun I i'll, look, it I'll look it up and i'll, I'll yeah. put it in it's the, really neat yeah but yeah dungeons and dragons today played by millions and millions of people it has its own internal mythology it's inspired countless countless fantasy books tv shows games movies it's played by thousands of groups every single day around the world and continues to put out new amazing material and adventures. Yeah, new expansion was just announced. Like, uh, no, correct, it just leaked recently. It's yep. uh, Matt Mercer's world for yes. Critical Role. Yep. which I'm <gasps> actually really Mercer. excited for. Yep. Because well, now, yeah, with the world of Twitch streaming now, 
it's I, I think that it's only yeah. going to get bigger. Well, it's you're in this weird thing where now people just like like I mean, God's Fall, like you yep. and I listen to. Uh, one of our friends from Thomas More, her husband mm-hmm. has a D and D podcast. Yep. Uh, let me find it real quick. I'll go ahead and give him an unofficial plug here. Yep. But not D and D is fucking phenomenal. It's great if you don't play it. Find some people, give it a try. Worst, you know, worst case, you don't. You like get to sit around a table and like kind of drink some beer and make some nerdy jokes with your yep. friend and have a fun or friends and have a fun time. Best case, you'll be playing it with a group of people for the rest of your life. Yeah, like we are. Yeah. yeah, I mean, honestly, it's I'm getting to the point now where we don't get to play as often as I want to. I'm like starting to look at like local gaming places. Like, yeah, hey, if you guys need another player. Because well, I need that itch scratched. More and more, there are places, bookstores especially, yeah, are starting... Yeah, bookstores, there are some bars that They're starting it. to pay people to DM, to yeah. be Dungeon Masters. It's great. It's honestly, a, not to be put myself too much into it, we're in like a golden age of oh, yeah. being able to play D&D. It's yeah. great. You've it's never so had access fun. like this before, and quite honestly, it's so great for you as an individual. You learn to you know be imaginative be creative collaborative gameplay yep it's, it's great character design yeah, yeah. honestly any yeah kind it's of... so much fun it i really cannot recommend it enough especially if you get a good group of players together stresses it is yeah. stretches all the brain muscles yeah it it's really great does. it is truly my favorite thing to do uh, um the the name of that podcast by the way is the rule of cool a fifth edition dungeons and dragons podcast yeah check them out yeah if you're looking for a D podcast they would be yeah, they're good. God's Fall is fantastic. Oh yeah, there's so many. Out um, there. Critical Role. Yeah, is Critical Role is the, kind of the the, the flagship right now. They're yeah. the big ambassadors. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's great. Go play for it. it. Go play it. it anywhere. Go play. And then that um, graphic novel biography of Gary Gygax is called Rise of the Dungeon Master. That was it. Yeah. Oh, and the art is beautiful. It's so pretty. We should do Gary Con, by the way. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yeah. So real quick, the quick history on that is when Gary Gygax died in 2008. Uh, a bunch of his friends like went to a place nearby and they basically started playing D&D and kind of sharing stories with them. And that evolved into a yearly con and, um, what is it? Lake Geneva, Switzerland? Yes. Or not Switzerland, no. Jesus Wisconsin. Christ. Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin. Close enough. Same thing. Yeah. Basically same thing. Yeah. You know, one's an Alpine Majesty. The other places where Ed Gein stole corpses. The other one is Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, they would go there and play games and now it's a yearly con and... I really want to do a weekend trip where we oh, go to amazing. Lake Geneva and do like just a weekend of D and D. That'd be so oh, much fun. I love that. Yeah, it's it's only six hours and it's right by Elkhorn, Wisconsin. We can go look for the Beast of Bray Road while we're there. Oh, you're speaking my language. Yeah, I would look never at see, that. I'm never gonna see you guys again. <laughs> we Brittany, just moved uh, there. We live here now. Brittany, I've got great news. I quit my job and we're looking for cryptids. <laughs> Woo! Uh, I'm gonna write for a game now. Oh, I'm making man, that's shoes. My dream. I'm a cobbler. I'm a cobbler. I, I'm cobbling. Honestly. Cobbler, you make pretty good money now if you're good oh, at yeah. it. Um, anyway, thank you guys so much. Yeah. Uh, do we have anything we want to plug? No, I think we're good for right now. Okay, you can find us on um, Facebook. We're Drunk Thunks on Facebook. Uh, we are on Twitter. The Twitter handle is at dthunks. Dthunks. Um, I believe we're on Instagram. Yes. I've never found it because I don't use Instagram. I don't either. We're not I'll really be good at this. It's almost like we're kind of figuring out as we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do know we're currently assessing the schedule because Life. you know winter was hard on all of us, yeah. and yeah, it's weirdly busy. So we'll keep you guys informed as to what's going on yeah. there. Um, oh, uh, we need to pour it out for our boy Christopher Tolkien died today oh at ninety five, which sucks. Yeah. I saw uh, that's that. Really I sad. saw that on Facebook, and I honestly thought it was a gag. I, and then, I don't believe it because when I clicked on it, it, it took me immediately to a Reddit link, and I was like, okay. 
Nope. And then it, 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 it's Christopher it. Tolkien died, so very, without him, we wouldn't bummed. have gotten the Silmarillion. And this really is the uh, end of an era. Yeah, it it really is honest. Like I'm not huge on celebrity deaths. This one and Anthony Bourdain are the two I've actually been sad about. Yeah. Not in he, a mean way, but no, but yeah, yeah there's some that definitely are. You're like, oh, that's they're, they're sucks. the ones. They're the oh, ones yeah. that you know. It, uh, they it affected me you. more. Yeah. But. Right. Christopher Tolkien was, I mean, the single greatest custodian yeah. of the most important fantasy work that has been written in the 20th century. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so, I don't know. Honestly, this episode seems weirdly fitting. It, it, Spe- it is. Given that, I'm pretty sure it was Christopher Tolkien, who was in charge of the Tolkien estate, and that sent the cease and desist letter <laughs> to Gary Gygax at the time. This was he, the 70s. He gets to, he gets to play an auxiliary role Yeah, this, this is all connected. I once yeah. I saw that, and we were texting about it today, and I remember what we were recording tonight i was like oh oddly fitting. well i texted michael it's like in honor of christopher tolkien i did a lot of work on my D setting today yeah and i said <laughs> in honor job. of jrr tolkien i'm not going to really like any of it and be really critical of all of it nah <laughs> tolkien was great oh he was he was just yeah. such a dick to like c.s <laughs> lewis about his books well in fairness it's c.s lewis uh, <laughs> there's yeah <laughs> all right thanks everybody yeah thank, thank you all so much you guys are the best bye i love you i will always love you Oh, <laughs> <Stop. laughs>